0: Exodus chapter 19, we'll get started this morning We'll be starting in verse 1 And if you would, read along with me Exodus 19, verse 1 On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt On that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai They set out from Rephidim You will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said All that the Lord has spoken We will do And Moses reported The words of the people To the Lord Let's pray Dear Lord Father God we pray This morning as we come to this important text That you would Open our minds and our hearts, Lord, to what it teaches us, Lord. I pray that you would speak this morning through your word. God, I know uh, trying to understand the scriptures as a whole and how the old covenant and new covenant connect and and why the Mosaic covenant was was made with the people, Lord, can be difficult to get our minds wrapped around, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that you are with us this morning as we take on that task, Lord, as we look in the book of Exodus, Lord, as you are starting to establish your covenant with Israel, Lord, I pray that you teach us as new covenant believers, as New Testament believers, what applies to us, Lord, what we can learn from this. God, I pray this morning that we just see your goodness, your grace, your holiness, that we see As Mike prayed earlier, our depravity, our sinfulness, Lord, and that that would drive us to grace, our need for a Savior. But I prayed this this morning, if you would be be with us, open our hearts, Lord. I pray the Spirit would lead us in your Son's name. Amen. Today we're continuing the sermon series through the book of Exodus, and we are in chapter 19, which, as I prayed, is an extremely important chapter. It really starts the the covenant that God is going to make with Israel, which is often called the Mosaic Covenant, because Moses is the mediator between the people of God and God in this covenant. It's what we mean when we say as Christians, at least what most people mean when they say the Old Covenant, referring to the Mosaic Covenant. And this all starts in chapter 19. Again, this means this is a very important chapter for us. This morning I have three points to to the sermon. The first point is this, the structure of the Mosaic Covenant, the structure of our passage, really. The second point, the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant. And finally, the third point, what this means for us. So let's just jump right into the sermon this morning, and we're going to start with the structure of our passage, the structure of the Mosaic Covenant, And and let's just start with verses 1 and 2, which gives time and place of where this is happening, indicating to us that there's a shift in the narrative of the book of Exodus, a shift in the outline. We are entering into a a new major portion of the book of Exodus, and this is signified by Moses, the author, giving us the time and place that this took place. If you would look at verse 1, it says this, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephrodim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain. Now, of course, the mountain here that's referred to is Mount Sinai. And they will be encamped, they will be out Mount Sinai for the next 58 chapters, meaning the scene of the next 58 chapters. All is at Mount Sinai That's the rest of the book of Exodus 19 through chapter 40 That's all of the book of Leviticus And the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers It all takes place At Mount Sinai So we get this time And place again indicating to us That there's a shift in the narrative and the outline Of the book of Exodus Now verses 3 through 7 There's a particular literary Structure called a Chiasm. We've talked about chiasms before as a church, so this shouldn't be too unfamiliar with us. It's a poetic structure seen throughout Scripture. It's named after the the Greek letter chi. And the Greek letter chi is it looks like an X, like our letter X, and and that's how the structure is. It's it's made this way to point us to the very center of the passage. Again, the chiasm or chiasm looks like an X. Uh, It's where the author wants our attention, right in the middle of the passage. He wants our focus. It's the main point of the passage. Now, this is unusual for us, English, Western Americans, because usually the main point of a letter, essay, the main point of a story or narrative or a movie you watch, the main point is usually at the very end of the story or end of the letter or end of the passage. But in Hebrew writing, often the main point is right in the middle. A lot of the times the author will use a chiasm to, to help point the reader to this main point. And this is true for our passage this morning. The pattern of our passage goes like this. You have point A, then B, then C, then finally D, which is the main point of the passage. And then it goes backwards, C. The A's on the outside of the passage, in other words, are related The B's that are towards the outside, right right underneath the outside, are related The C's of the passage are related And it all points us to the D, which is the main point of our passage this morning So let's walk through this By starting with the A's, looking at the beginning of the passage and the end of our passage Which is 3, verse 3 and verse 7 Verse 3 says this While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, now look at verse 7, it says this, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words, all these words that the Lord had commanded him. These two verses are are related. Moses is ascending and descending the mountain. Again, verse 3 says this, Moses went up to God. Well, if he's up, Where must he come from there? Verse 7, Moses came, and you could add the word down. Moses came and called the um, elders. So Moses went up to God. Verse 3, verse 7, Moses came and called the elders. This is the first part of this chiasm, which really points to Moses' role as mediator between God and the people. We talked about this last week. It's a very important theme in the book of Exodus. In fact, we're going to see this theme happen over and over and over and over again in the rest of the book of Exodus. Moses ascending the mountain and descending the mountain and ascending the mountain and descending the mountain. A very important theme, but not the main point of our passage this morning. The second part of the chiasm, the B's, are at the end of verse 3 and the end of verse 6. So if you look at the end of verse 3, it says this. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. Now look at the end of verse 6. It's almost parallel. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The end of verse 3 and the end of verse 6 is God's command to Moses... To proclaim his word to the people. Very important theme in the book of Exodus. In fact, it's a very important theme in all of scripture. Our relationship is founded off God's word and his word being proclaimed to his people. Right? Very important theme, but not the main point of our passage. Which brings us to the third part of this chiasm. Right? The sea, the past and the future. The past, verse 4, is the past. Look what it says. You yourselves have seen, that's past tense, have seen. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is the salvation of Israel. Israel was saved, past tense, was saved purely by God's grace. The analogy is like a helpless bird. A helpless bird saved by its mom. It says this, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God's people were saved from slavery by grace alone. It's what we have covered all the way up to this point in Exodus. Again, a very extremely important theme. God's past grace. Look at verse 4 again. It says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Well, look at the end of verse 5. This is the future. We have the past and the future. This is the future. Verse 5, the end of verse 5. You shall be, that's future. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, and all the earth is mine. And you shall be, again, future to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We have future blessings future grace even a future witness my treasured possession among all peoples again a very important theme but not the main point verse 4 we have the past the end of verse 5 we have the future which are related which brings us right to the center of the chiasm the main point the present what the author wants us to pay attention to Verse D or uh, part D verse 5 says this now it's present present tense now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant this is the main point there's two things that are said here if you will obey my voice keep my covenant this is where the author is pointing us this is what what he wants us to see. Verse five again, it says this, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now for us, New Testament believers, that doesn't necessarily sound right. Why is obedience the focal point of this passage? Why is keeping the covenant the, the main point of this passage? It, it doesn't sound right to us as a New Testament Believers. Well the answer is actually pretty simple. Verse five is the biggest distinguishing factor of this covenant, of the Mosaic covenant. This is what distinguished this covenant from from all other biblical covenants between God and man, the major covenants, the Noetic covenant, which was named after Noah, covenant given to all mankind through the leader Noah. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the New Covenant. Unlike all these covenants, verse 5 teaches us that the Mosaic covenant is conditional. Is contingent. Or bilateral. There's an if in there. In fact, there's an if And there's an applied then aspect of this covenant. If you obey, then I will do this. Right? Look at verse 5 again. It says this. Now, therefore, if. So important. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. That's a condition. Obeying God's voice. Keeping his covenant. If you will obey, then. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In the Mosaic Covenant, obedience to God's law was the means through which God or Israel could stay in connection to the blessings of their salvation. If you obey the law, blessings... If you disobey curses, Right? it's conditional. Uh, really, to understand the Mosaic Covenant, you have to grasp this. So if you would, turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We've said a number of times Deuteronomy is... Is Moses' last words to Israel Just before they're getting ready to cross into the promised land He's reminding Israel everything that they've been taught At Mount Sinai And what they've learned in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness These are his final words to them And this is what he says about the Mosaic Covenant The covenant that God has made with Israel Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 says this And if There's that word again And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed, shall be you in the city blessed shall you be in the field blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle the increase of your herds and and the young of your flock blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl blessed shall be you when you come in and blessed shall shall you be when you go out and these blessings just keep going all the way down to verse 15. But look at verse 15. Skip down to verse 15. It says this. But if. There's that word again. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today. Again, if you will not obey the law, then all these curses shall be upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket in your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be your fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be... When you go out The Lord will send on you Curses Confusion And frustration In all that you undertake to do Until you are destroyed And perish quickly On account of the evil of your deeds Because you have forsaken me The Mosaic covenant Is conditional its main distinguishing factor blessings. Blessings if Israel obeys the law, curses if Israel disobeys. Well, what happens? We know the story. We know the story of the whole Old Testament of Israel. Before Moses can even come down the mountain with the Ten Commandments written on stone, what is Israel doing? They made a golden calf, they worshipped it, breaking the first two commandments. And from Exodus on, the story of Israel is a story of God's people breaking God's law, breaking God's covenant over and over and over and over again. Which leads to a question, and I think it's a question that most Christians have asked at some point, and it may be a question that you're asking right now. Why this covenant? Why the law? God is going to give this covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and he's going to give well over 600 different commands, 600 different laws that, that govern it. Why the law? Why the condition? And it's clear, God knew Israel wasn't going to keep the covenant. He knew that from the very beginning. In fact, he predicts it in Deuteronomy 31. He predicts that Israel will break the law, that Israel will break the covenant. He tells Moses this in Deuteronomy 31, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. In other words, Moses, you're about to die. And this is what's going to happen. Then this people will rise up and whore after foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. And God knew, as he was making this covenant, that Israel was going to break the covenant. So again, what is the purpose of the Mosaic covenant? If God knew... That man's heart is depraved, is sinful, and there is no way Israel was going to keep the law. Why establish it? That leads us to the second point this morning. The purpose of the Mosaic Covenant, or the law. I'm going to go back and forth saying the Mosaic Covenant and the law as synonymous this morning. The Mosaic Covenant the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant. If you would, turn back to Exodus chapter 19. This question becomes extremely important because we're going to be in Exodus 19 through 40, which is mostly the law. Meaning for the next, I don't know how long, we'll say a while, we're going to be in the law. Well, why the law? Most reading plans as you go through the book or the Bible as a whole, starting in Genesis, most people get to like this part of Exodus and then Leviticus and stop. (laughs) What's the purpose of the law? It's an important question. What's the purpose of this covenant? So we need to ask this. I have three main purposes of the law or the old covenant the mosaic covenant and i just want to say i get these three purposes as we'll see from the new testament three purposes of the law first one is this the law reveals the holy nature of god the law reveals the holy nature of god remember the overarching theme of exodus what is the overarching theme of Exodus? It's God revealing his name. Right? He's revealing his name. He's revealing his character, his nature. What it means that he is Yahweh. And this is absolutely true with the law. God is revealing his character. In fact, the Ten Commandments are at the core of who God is. God is revealing who he is. The law reveals the holy nature of god listen to leviticus chapter 11 verse 45 it says this for i am the lord capital l-o-r-d so that's god's covenantal name i am yahweh let me say that again i am yahweh what's that sound like the burning bush exodus 3 God is revealing his name. He says this, for I am Yahweh, who brought you out, or brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And then he says, This you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And the command is be holy. Really, that command sums up the whole law. Be holy. Why? Why should you? Obey the law, because I am holy. It reveals who I am. Therefore, I want you to hear this, the law is good. The law is good. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is good. Listen, when, when Israel obeyed the law, which I know is rare in the Old Testament, but when they obeyed the law, they reflected God's holy character to all the nations, to the world. Look at verse 5. Look what it says. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, plural. That means all nations, for the earth is mine, right? All the earth is mine. The law reflected God's holy nature, right? And when Israel kept the law, it reflected God's holy nature to the world. Again, be holy, for I am holy. Have you ever thought about that? Think about this. God established the law to reach the nations. To reveal his character to the nations. To reveal his holy character, not just to Israel, but to all the earth. Again, you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples, plurals, that's a nations, for all the earth is mine whole earth is god's not just israel so the first purpose of the law was to reveal the holy nature of god this leads us right into the second purpose of the law the second purpose of the law was to reveal the sinful nature of man it's because the revelation of god's holy nature always reveals the sinful nature of man Those two things just go hand in hand. In fact, I just want you to hear what John Calvin says in the very first line of his famous Institutes. He he writes this, Our wisdom, in so far as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists entirely of two parts. This is wisdom. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. In other words, It's only when we understand who God truly is that we will understand who we truly are. The holy nature of God reveals our depravity. The holy nature of God reveals our sinful nature. And and this is true throughout Scripture. I get to show you passage after passage of passage that just shows this truth. Whenever man is exposed to the holy nature of God, the result is always a revelation of their depravity. Let me just give you a couple examples. Turn turn back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Exodus 3, verse 2, it says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire, and out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out, or called him out from the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet. For the place of which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now listen to this. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Why was Moses afraid? At that moment, that very moment... When he was exposed to the holy nature of God He realized just how unworthy he was How depraved and sinful he was Look what it says You are standing on holy ground Holiness of God revealed the depravity That's why Moses hid his face For he was afraid to look at God Whenever man is exposed to God's holiness It reveals Our unworthiness. It reveals our depravity and sin nature. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. Of course, this is a familiar passage, but I just love this passage. Isaiah 6, verse 1. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings, two to cover his face and two to cover his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy. As the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah was exposed to the holiness of God. Well, what happened? Verse 5, and I, this is Isaiah talking, and I said, woe is me. That's Isaiah's first response. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man with unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Well, well how do you know this, Isaiah? The last part of verse 5. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Again, whenever man is exposed to holiness... It reveals his depravity, it reveals his sin nature. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter five, the Gospel of Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five. Starting in verse 4. says this. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Just so you know, Simon, Peter, the same person. Simon, Peter, i will say that later. Right? He's talking to Peter. This is Jesus talking to Peter. He said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word... I will let down the nets. I'm going to stop there. Peter is a professional fisherman, so this sounds ridiculous to him. He knows that he's not going to catch anything. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Again, mo- Peter is a professional fisherman he has never seen anything like this before it was an amazing miracle jesus at this moment was revealing who he was to peter well what's peter's response verse eight but when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus's knee saying depart from me for i am a sinner a sinful man O lord Again, over and over and over, whenever God's holiness is revealed, it reveals our depravity. You know, it's still true today. It's why preaching God's word is so important. Preaching God's word is not about getting practical tips on how to live a better life preaching god's word is exposing the church to god's word which reveals the holiness of god which reveals our depravity which points us straight to jesus whenever we are exposed to the holiness of god in god's word it reveals our unworthiness it reveals our sinfulness and listen this is where true wisdom begins. That's why Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's why John Calvin said, True and so, or solid wisdom consists of almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. Now turn back to Exodus chapter 19. Here's why I think this is important to understand. I think Israel lacked true and solid wisdom. Now remember, you know, sometimes I think we we kind of beat up Israel in our minds so much that we don't stop and think where Israel is at. We are blessed to have both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And not just that, we have 2,000 years of church history. We stand on giants' backs have gone before us explaining God's word God's revelation we are blessed Israel at this point has just come out of slavery Moses is writing the first five books of scripture meaning they have very very little revelation they have very little of experience of being God's people they have been slaves for 400 years and at this point They've witnessed God's power. They've been blessed to witness extraordinary power. But I don't think they have a deep understanding of who God is. Remember, the whole point of Exodus is God is revealing who he is to the Israelites. They don't understand just how holy God truly is. They didn't have a deep understanding of God's holiness. Therefore, they didn't have a deep understanding of their... Sinfulness, their depravity. How truly sinful they are! How truly depraved they are! We just think about this. It's not till till the the prophet Jeremiah on the other side of the history of Israel do we get Jeremiah 17, 9 which says this: "The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it?" That's like after the whole history of Israel, and it's just like man is sinful. Israel, in the beginning of this, just didn't understand how sinful they truly were. And this is evident in verse 7 and 8. Look at verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Verse 8. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We laugh, right? We will obey God's words. That's what they're saying. We will keep God's covenant. We will obey the law. Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Israel thinks that they can live holy lives, that they can reflect God's holiness perfectly. That they can be holy like God is holy. Now, again, we laugh because that sounds ridiculous to us. Because we know the history of Israel. We have revelation that has shown over and over and over and over again the depravity of man's heart. You have to remember, though, we are blessed to have this. right Story after story of Israel's false worship, idolatry, sinful rebellion. Again, we laugh when we hear Israel say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In fact, some commentators and some Theologians even go as far as to say Israel should have never agreed to this covenant. (laughs) They should have said, There's no way we can obey. We demand grace. But I don't think it's the best way of understanding this passage. I just don't think Israel understood the sin nature that was within their hearts. I think they truly believed they could keep the covenant. They didn't know their own hearts. Therefore, so important, one of the main purposes of the law, one of the main purposes of the Mosaic Covenant was to reveal the sinful nature of man's heart. Was to reveal knowledge of the depravity of man. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans 3 verse 20. He says this, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. In other words, works will not save you. Let me just be clear. Being good will not get you into heaven. Right? If you think you're good, you need to be exposed to the holiness of God. Get in the word. Keeping the law will not save you. Then why the law? Well, this is what Paul says. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law exposes man's sin nature. It brought a knowledge of sin to the Israelites. The Israelites needed this knowledge. They needed the law to expose their depravity. Again, the law brought a knowledge of sin. That's why the law was so important. Israel needed to understand the depravity within their hearts, their inability to keep the law, so that it would drive them to grace. You know, that's still true today. Whenever you share the gospel, whenever you share the gospel, you need to start with two things. In fact, if you don't start with these two things, it's not the gospel. You need to start with the holiness of God. But the standard is perfection to have a relationship with him that he is perfectly holy and the second thing you need to move to is the simple nature of man it's only after a person understands these two things will a person understand their need for grace this is what the law did for Israel the law did three things for Israel. The first one is that it showed the holy nature of God. The second thing the law did was it showed, it revealed the sinful nature of man. And thus, the third thing the law did was show that man's need for a savior. It showed Israel that they needed a savior. The law revealed Israel's need for a savior. The law pointed Israel straight to Jesus. Someone who perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the law on their behalf. Someone who took on the penalty, the curses of their sins on their behalf. The law appointed Israel to Jesus. The seat of the woman. The Savior. This is what jesus said in matthew 5 verse 17 jesus said do not think that i have come to abolish the law or the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them jesus is the fulfillment of the law because jesus himself is holy again the law reveals god's holy nature if jesus is god what is he he's holy therefore he perfectly fulfills the law he perfectly obeyed the law. He is divine. He obeyed the law perfectly. This is what 1 Peter 2.22 says. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 1 John five says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus was sinless, perfectly righteous. He obeyed the law perfectly. And it's through his life that the old covenant was fulfilled. And it was through his death that the new covenant is established. Jesus lived a perfect life, completely righteous. And he died for man's sin. This is the doctrine of double imputation, right, which is right at the heart of the gospel, right at the heart of the good news. Right? The penalty of the believer's sin was imputed to Jesus. Therefore, he paid the price for that sin. The penalty of a believer's sin was imputed to Jesus. And Jesus' righteous life, his righteousness, was imputed to us. It's a foreign righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. It's not a righteous that we have done on our own. In other words, God treated Jesus as though he lived our life. Therefore, God treats us as though we lived his life second corinthians 521 says this for our sake he that's god made him jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness god this is sometimes called the great exchange our sin exchanged for jesus's righteousness that's good news (laughs) that's good news that's the gospel Listen, the Mosaic Covenant, the law, did three things. It revealed the holy nature of God. And in doing that, it revealed the sinful nature of man. And thus, it revealed man's need for a Savior. This leads us to our last point this morning. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? As New Testament believers, what's this mean? New Covenant believers. Listen, we are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. It's called the Old Covenant for a reason. We are no longer under the laws, the over 600 laws that we find in the Old Testament. We are now part of a new covenant established in Jesus' blood. Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 20, this cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus' death on the cross brought an end to the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, and established the new covenant. But that doesn't mean the law isn't relevant to us. Otherwise, we'd be wasting our time going through chapters 19 through 40. We still can learn so much from the law, in particularly... Three main things. The holy nature of God. The law still reveals God's holy nature. Therefore, we should study it to learn more about who God is. The holy nature of God. If it reveals the holy nature of God, then what does it do? It reveals the sinful nature of man. When we study the holy nature of God, we will see the sinful nature of man. And there's still moral laws that transcend transcend both covenants the old and new covenant that still expose our sinfulness and we are called to obey these moral laws not out of threats of blessings and curses but out of a heart that loves God we obey because we love God we trust him but when we fail this is so important When we fail to obey, the law still points us to Jesus. The law still points us to our need for a Savior. The law points us straight to Jesus as our propitiation for our sins. He is our righteousness. He is our hope. He is our mediator. He is our Savior. The law is important. I'm excited to study it for those three reasons. Let me end by reading first John uh, chapter one, verse five through nine. It says this in verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light it means God is holy. God is holy, He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him. While we walk in darkness, in other words, while we walk in sin, we lie. Do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Therefore, verse 9 says this, if, we stop there. Here's our if. If we confess our sins He is faithful and just To forgive us our sins And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness That's the good news That's the gospel The old covenant and its laws Points us to a better covenant A new covenant Where the blood of Jesus Cleanses us all From all sins Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray, God, as we approach the law seen in Exodus, Lord, as we approach the Ten Commandments and the, the laws that come out of those Ten Commandments in the Old Covenant, Lord, I pray that you clearly reveal yourself to us as a church, Lord, that we learn what it means that you are Yahweh, Lord, that we learn what it means that you are holy. And God, I pray through that, we understand just how sinful we truly are, that we see clearly our need for a savior, our need for grace, our need for your son, who lived a perfect life, a life we could never live, a life we didn't live. Who died on the cross for our sins Taking on our penalty So that our unrighteousness Is is paid through his death That your wrath is poured out on him Yet his righteousness is imputed to us Lord God that we know That his death satisfied Your wrath Lord Because you raised him on the third day As we will be celebrating next week That you raised him and just like Moses, he ascended the mountain, Lord, and now sits next to you on the throne, interceding for those that have put their faith in him. Lord, I pray for anyone, Lord, in this room or watching online that does not have a saving relationship with your son, that is striving to, to, towards salvation through the law, through doing good works, Lord. That they would be exposed to your holiness, Lord, and fall on their knees and say, woe is me. And that you would point them to your son. That they wouldn't go into the next moment without repenting and trusting in Jesus. Right now. We thank you for your grace. Thank you that the law points us to your grace. Be with us, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.